You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I'm your double-digit podcast host, Mason, and I'm joined by my double-digit podcast co-host, Trey, back from the land of the living. It's good to be back, everybody. Yeah, I'm sorry that I had to take a week off. I had some personal stuff going on and had some things to tend to with the medical family stuff, but everything's good, everybody's okay, and I'm glad to be back. Yep, and we're glad to have you back as well. We have a pretty exciting episode this week. Uh, while you were gone, Trey, I don't know if you kept up with Magic, a Magic not a professional <laughs> career. <laughs> so, now with ranked mode, you can become a Mythic Walker, maybe you'll be able to qualify with the Pro Tour. We're going to talk all about ranking up an Arena and how much different it is because it is a best of one environment. You know, If you haven't been paying attention on Arena, if you play ranked, you only play best of ones. Uh, assuming you're playing Constructed, there's also a limited rank, but we'll leave that to LR. So we're going to talk about how to do that and what it means for deck building, all this kind of stuff, because it's a really cool thought experiment. But first, we have a sponsor. Goblin Char Bargains is back. And Trey, I think this one's going to help with the episode's topic. Oh, for sure. Hello, fellow Magic competitor. If you're like me, and I think you are, you can't get enough of Magic's new digital extravaganza, MTG Arena. It's just like Hearthstone, except it's Magic. (laughs) And now, just like your favorite Hearthstone streamer, you can now have the competitive advantage with the new Arena Deck Tracker Kit from Goblin Char Bargains. Always know what is left in your deck and what your outs are in any given situation. The Arena Deck Tracker does it all, and for the low, low price of $99.99. And the best part is, how easy it is to use. First off, take one of our included scrolls, and then use one of our patent-pending deck decoder sticks to write down every card in your deck. Then... Whenever you draw a card in Arena, you will automatically cross it off your scroll manually. Trey, that sounds a lot like pen and paper. No, 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 no. This is the Goblin Char Bargains patent pending Arena Deck Tracker Kit. Goblin Char Bargains would never and has never lied to you. So, rush out now to get the Goblin Char Bargains Arena Deck Tracker Kit today. I can't wait to get mine for Christmas. I, I, I assume it's in the mail. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a popular gift item for this holiday season. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be super helpful. You know, knowing what cards left in your deck is super important. And we thank Goblin Char Bargains for providing that service <laughs> that no one else could. Um, but seriously, <laughs> this episode is uh, it's, it's pretty interesting, right? Because, so this one, first off, I think we should probably talk about the elf in the room. It is best of one to play ranked on arena, which is not the normal magic experience. Well, it's an important thing to make in a distinction because I think this is something that's an easy thing to make a mistake on because I know that I did with arena to start off with, is that there are two different ways to play in Arena, really three different plays to play. There's Constructed and there's Limited, but there's also Constructed Events and then there's Constructed Ladder. And that playing Limited Events will increase your Limited ranking, but playing Constructed Events will not. It will give you increased prize structure, but it won't actually let you climb the ladder, which is what it is that you need to do if you want to try to get to the prizes and to the Mythic Championship and all of those different kinds of things. And so you have to, if you want to try to level up for laddering on Arena for Constructed, you have to play in the Ranked Play ladder section. Yeah, you have to click Actual Ladder. There's a little option right there. And if you do Constructed Events, you normally get more gold for your buck. 
but there are other implications with playing ranked. But that can be an easy thing to get confused because if you've been doing mostly drafts because you didn't have a constructed deck or something else like that, and you've been noticing your limited rank change while doing those events, but it will not work the same way like that for constructed. Yeah. And the big change with that as well is that the competitive constructed events are typical what you would expect matches, best of three, while the arena ladder, as uh, Mason said, are best of one, which just means you play one game and then on to the next game. Yeah. And I think that changes a lot of things when it comes to deck building and looking at the decks you want to choose as well. So we're going to kind of talk about the three major archetypes here. Aggro, midrange, and control. Combo is obviously an archetype, but there's not a whole lot of that in standard right now. And to be honest, we haven't really thought about that in the sense of best of one. I imagine it's actually probably better because sideboards normally in combo are just to hate out other hate. So I assume combo, if you find a good one, is probably pretty good. But Trey, let's start with aggro. You're an aggro deck in the best of one environment. How does that change everything? Because now you don't have the sideboard cards to go like zig and zag, duck and dive. What, how does that change it for you? Well, I think that, you know... This type of environment, I think, generally favors very linear decks, and that's generally what you're dealing with when you're dealing with aggro decks. And that, you know, oftentimes what you see is mid-range decks or control decks are, are set up, do a certain thing in game one, and then they adapt to the hyper-aggressive decks when they encounter those. And so I think that the general consensus is that the aggro decks are going to kind of feast in this best-of-one environment because it, it's kind of favored in game ones, and then the sideboards are where they really start to, to have a problem. But then the, the real thing that's going to happen is then, is deck building going to evolve with these other types of decks to try to address that? Yeah, that's the thing that I'm really interested in, too, because like, let's say I'm a control player at heart. I only want to play control, and you're telling me everyone's going to play these aggro decks, but I don't have to play game two and three against these mid-range decks or other control decks, right? So how does that change it? Do I play another Clarion? Do I do these kind of things? Do I maybe play cards that are originally sideboard cards in my main deck and take out some other cards that are kind of middling answers to have more haymakers. And I think that's going to be really interesting. I think it's also going to be interesting from a content uh, standpoint, too. And this is a little sidetrack. I imagine lots of articles will come out on best of one deck lists. Because they will be different than two out of three. You know, if you're playing a two out of three deck list, and let's say you're playing the Boros Weenie deck from the Pro Tour, right? You had no experimental frenzies in your main deck. So there's no reason to be Boros. You're literally just there for sideboard cards. Now you might be like, well, I should, be, should I be Mono White? Should I put experimental frenzy in main deck? All these things really change the deck dynamic. And I think aggro decks, especially in the early time, are going to be really good at adapting to this because it's so much easier to build an efficient aggro deck, right? The fail rate on a creature is just so low. If you go turn one Healer Hawk, turn two uh, a Johnny's Pride Man, I think is the card name, the one right. that's bigger, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like it doesn't really matter. If your opponent has a stumbling draw, they're going to fall behind and lose. That's just kind of how creatures work. So I think aggro decks are some of the easiest ones to kind of like call on a note. But I think control decks would also be kind of primed to step up and be like the deck to play, right? Like the level one thought. And maybe we should talk about that and then circle back around the mid-range at the end. Yeah, sure. So I, I think that what becomes interesting with it from a control standpoint is what's always difficult for a control deck to do is to try to predict what type of metagame you're going to face. And you have to try to account for a lot of different decks. And you normally do that by skewing your main deck towards battling one particular type of deck that you think is going to be more popular. And then having possibilities and adaptable things in your sideboard so that you can change to address what it is that you need to address in the various things. However, if you have a best of one environment that does create a hyperlinear metagame, where it's mostly aggro decks, as the, at least as that's what the initial thought of people are having, is that that's the thing that's going to happen, then it becomes, as a control player, easier to try to prey on that. Because you know what the expected metagame is going to be. If it's going to be mostly just aggro decks, then you can skew your control build in an in a abnormal way to be more reactive to aggro strategies and, and kind of let other things go and just be like, okay, I'm going to lose those matches because I think, you know, 8 out of 10 times or 9 out of 10 times I'm going to play against an aggro deck. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting. One thing you said there was an abnormal way. And I think that that is something that a lot of people are going to have an issue with. You know, they're listening to this episode and like, that's not magic the way it's played at big tournaments. That's not the way I want to play magic. I think it's important to remember that when you go into these best of ones, right, and you play ranked ladder, you're playing almost kind of like modern is the standard, right? You're playing best of one standard versus two out of three standard. So it's not, you know, I, I think abnormal is a good way to talk about it first. But I think when you're looking at your deck, you need to be looking at it as a whole, even more so than a 75. Because, you know, we talk about building a 75, you build between all the games, right? And things you can move in and out. With a 60, has to be even more compressed. And it's just a different way to look at it. Right. And it's a new way of thinking primarily for, you know, magic players, particularly competitive magic players. You know, it's a thing that, like, casual magic players may actually have more experience with because most of the time they don't build sideboards. They just build a deck. I don't know. I never see people test games two and three. So as far as I know, everyone's <laughs> been playing best of one this whole time. Uh, but. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Competitive magic players notoriously under test sideboarded games. But... Yeah. I, that's probably why Watsy did best of one is because they see all these people like, they hate the sideboard. Let's just not let them sideboard. <laughs> no, but uh, jokes aside, yeah, it is interesting, right? Because I feel like, let's say you're playing just guy control, right? You might be interested in playing a lot of Niv-Mizzet's main deck as your only win condition and then having a lot of board clears. Because Niv-Mizzet's the trump in the mirror, and then board clears are going to beat these aggro decks. And it's like, I don't have to deal with mid-range decks, which we're kind of working towards. Because a lot of time what happens is, that stops this whole dynamic is, well, the aggro decks beat up on these control decks, and the control decks try to overcompensate. And the mid-range decks kind of flounder between the two, but they have these 15 really strong sideboard cards, and they kind of make their game plan better in those matchups, right? So they're like kind of 50-50 game one and two, and they're like kind of, they plan to be like, you know, 55-45 game two and three. But they don't, they don't get to do that anymore. So now when you're building a mid-range deck, it's completely different. And I think, at least for the first little bit here, until we learn to build mid-range decks as 60s, they're not going to be the best thing most of the time. Right, and so you're hitting on the rock, right? Like, mm. you know, typically in standard, you have a paper, rock, scissors environment between those three different archetypes. And, and we're, we're getting to the point now that's talking about that, of the rock, right? The mid-range decks. Mm. And that, you know, mid-range generally, like, really relies on its sideboard. Like, more so than a lot of other decks, because it adapts to whatever it is that's going on to get the most value out of what it is that it's doing in order to attack what it's playing against. And I do think that they are going to be the type of decks that are hurt the most by this type of structure. Yeah, at, at least definitely at first. I think there are ways, and I think the interesting thing is, I would call 8-Drick a mid-rangey deck, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it has, it's aggressive for a mid-range deck, but it's still like a mid-range deck. But the interesting thing about that deck is it plays cards that you would typically think of as sideboard cards, right? Like it has main deck spell pierce. You could argue dive down as a sideboardable card, right? Mm -hmm. Not really most of the time, but against control decks, you'd like it. And that deck plays both of those main deck. Same with Mono Blue Tempo, which we'll talk about later, which is an aggressive deck, but it gets to play these kind of gotcha cards. And that's something that maybe mid-range decks have to move more towards in the future, right? It's maybe it's like, well, my deck's really good, but instead of playing the fourth cast out, I'm going to play one Duress, where I'm going to play two Duress, right? I'm going to hope to catch a Lightning Strike in the aggro matchups, and I'm going to hope to catch a Counterspell in the control matchups. And that kind of changing dynamic and way to think about it, I think, is going to really be interesting for Arena. Yeah. And uh, uh, you're right. I mean, Drake is like the slowest Delver deck that's ever existed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, I didn't think of it. It's kind of like a Delver deck. That's a good point. Yeah, 8 Drake. That's a really good deck. That's the deck I've been climbing with, but we'll get to that in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that's really all that we want to talk about when it comes to like archetypes overall. Um, th the biggest thing I would tech on is, I would say, is we need to talk about tech cards, just in general, before we actually talk, talk about decks. And we kind of mentioned that a second ago with 8 Drake. And I'm curious about your opinion on, do you think that mid, like decks in general should be playing more like kind of haymaker cards 
like a negate main deck, like a spell pierce, like a duress, like a main fire? Like, what do you think? You know, I think so. And, you know, as we saw in the uh, Goblin Chart Perkins ad, it's somewhat of a joke, but, like, there is some similarities when looking at this from a deck building standpoint with Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, when you look at Hearthstone deck lists, which I know that we're talking about magic and everything else, but, like, there'll be a deck list, and then there'll be sometimes in the comments, like, swap these two cards for these two cards if the metagame is predominantly X. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're seeing a lot more aggressive decks, then you're going to want to swap these cards out in order to play this type of an archetype. Yep. And so they do that because there's not sideboards, right? And so you're always playing best of one, and that's the way that it's structured. I think that you're going to see the same kind of thing, or need to say the same kind of thing, in arena laddering, where, like, tech cards are going to become particularly important. It's like, this is the deck list for what the metagame is right now. If the metagame shifts and there's more of this type of deck, then you should swap these three cards out and play this. Yep, and I think that's an also, you know, we're going to use a Hearthstone example one more time. There's a card called Acidic Swamp Ooze, right? Which destroys a, 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 a weapon. That's what they're called. And so you'll see it in decks that are kind of like just mid rangey decks or control decks because they need an out to that, assuming those are popular at the time, right? And so you'll see it's like, okay, there's a deck right now that really uses a lot of weapons, right? So you're going to see more Swamp Oozes. But it's like, oh, that deck isn't as good right now. I'm going to take that out and I'm going to put in some more Secret Hate cards. And so the same thing is, I think it's going to be applicable in Magic, where it's like, I'm going to play this Banefire in my main deck of my Mono Red, right? Because this way I have, like, two Banefire, I have an out against these control decks that are preying on me, and I'm going to punish them for Sell the Wreckage. But when that deck kind of gets adapted to it, it's like, okay, the creature decks and the mid-range decks have figured a way to punish it, I'm going to start playing Rekindling Phoenix, right? It's a Mirror Breaker, it's great against all these removal heavy decks, and you can kind of move those kind of things up, and I think that's where the tech thing changes. And it's like an interesting deck-building exercise. Yeah, and I think it's going to be important with laddering for those like to not be static in your mm-hmm. deck building, not to just be like this is what it is that's going on and this is what it is that's working and this is the sixty from a seventy five list and whatever. You're going to have to be able to adapt to whatever's shifting in the metagame with that. Yeah, it is weird. I, like as we talk about it more and more, it really is just like best of one arenas is another format. It, it's like modern, you know. This yeah. is the new modern. No, that's. That's oh, ridiculous. Oh, God. I'll edit that out. That'd be absurd. <laughs> <laughs> Who would make a new modern on Arena? Um, but let's talk about decks, right? Because this standard format is super healthy. There are a lot of decks. And, you know, a lot of people have been talking to me where I see them on Twitter. This is a lot of conversation about what we should be doing in Arena. We thought it might be good to talk about the different deck lists are, kind of think about what we think about them. And I think this first one is a little misleading on how good, you know, people might perceive it to be. And that's green-black mid-range, Golgari. Mm -hmm. Golgari is a deck that is very adaptable, has a lot of different builds. And I'm not sure if it's that great right now to climb with. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is the consistently the most played deck in events at paper in, you know, typical competitive magic right now. And it is that way because of its consistency and its adaptability. But I'm with you. I'm just not sure that this is a great option in best of one laddering. One... Uh, you have to you have to guess right at the metagame. You have to also be sure that you have the right tools. And then the games drag out. They can take a long time. And then you have to continue to be gaining value every turn. And if you can fall behind, then you might not have the tools to, to get out of it. And then if you, you know, Golgari a lot of times will lose a game one and then win games two and three because it's able to adapt to whatever the matchup is. And you don't have that option with this. Yeah, for sure. I, I also think an interesting thing about Golgari is that, like, for a long time at the beginning of the standard, I think... At least for me, it was pretty clear Gregari was going to be one of the better decks, right? It's had all these powerful cards and all these things. It's just like, how do we build it to be in such a way that's there? And right now, we kind of have like a 50-55-ish kind of stock deck that's main deck, right? And I think the thing we just talked about tech cards is going to have to happen to Gregari. And I think when you play best of ones and arena and all these kind of things, it's going to be harder for that to be flushed out. 
So I think Golgari maybe one day will be a reasonable choice. But right now, I kind of want to stay away from that kind of deck personally. Yeah, I'm not particularly interested in going in. If it's if you are someone who likes Golgari and it is that you're looking at it, if you know the predictions are right and it's going to be an aggro-heavy format, then Wild Growth Walker-centered builds seem like probably the place to be if you're going to try to start with Golgari. Yeah, and I would say that you. Pro- it's weird because you want to do... You want to be like anti-aggressive, but you also need to play all the Carnage Tyrants, which is which is going to be the problem with the mid-range decks, right? Like they're going to have to find a way to balance those kind of things, and maybe the answer is playing more ramp and being kind of like the OG versions we had originally with like uh, four L four Drew to the Cow and the, like these Carnage Tyrant Vivian Vraska type plays, mm-hmm. and it, we just don't know yet. It's so it's so it's not even not like I think the deck is bad because obviously when the deck comes, it can beat both those decks. It's just getting that right configuration makes it hard to recommend when climbing. So know that if you're going to be playing it, you're going to be tinkering a lot. Right. You know, and also the situation is, too, that, that climbing and laddering is different than leaking, right? Like, if you're leaking, you got to win five games or whatever, and you're playing a match, but that's the goal, right? With laddering, like, you got to play a lot of games. And, like, playing a deck that takes a long time to win is also just makes your grind even grindier. Yeah, it can definitely feel that way, for sure, especially if you don't love it. Right. Um, there is a deck, though, it's green-white. That has been a deck that has been a little less popular than Green Black because it doesn't have the adaptive sideboard, but it has a lot more powerful main deck cards. You know, you get to play, um, well, I, I was going to say Takali Honor Guard, but that's a card that maybe you don't play as much in this version of the sideboard. But you can do that because it's a mid-range deck. But you also have like, cards like Onsera's Wings in the deck, right? And you have Lyra's and you have Shalai's and that kind of stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways to build it. And those the difference is, instead of having these big like Haymaker cards, you have like, these actual mid-on-the-curve cards like Lyra, that can stop both strategies, right? You really force them to have an answer and like one for one, and then you kind of work towards a current turn against control and against these aggro decks, you just try to buy time as quick as possible and stick a five five life linker. Right. So no, I, I think that there is a lot of uh, a lot to be said for that type of a strategy from a mid range standpoint, and then also the alternative green white deck, the go wide tokens deck, mm-hmm. I think also has a lot of value in best of one. Um, just go wide. Vi- strategies in general often have a very good game one game plan because it's hard to interact with and it's hard to have a lot of answers for that because they're those answers aren't necessarily translatable to other archetypes and so that's generally the type of things that people are sideboarding into if there's no sideboarding games then just making a bunch of dudes and pumping them up is generally a good way to go yeah especially with this deck that has so much lifelink right you're able to tax the spot removal tax the aggressive decks so Celestia Tokens is another deck, you know, I think uh, Nick Prince has talked about that a lot, and he's been really championing that on Twitter. I think that's a deck to look towards as well. Um, one thing I, I'm interested to ask you about in Green-White specifically, the the Tokens version, is what do you think about Song of Fraley's and that kind of deck? I love Song of Fraley's. Okay. I mean, I, I think that Song of Fraley's is a, is a really powerful card that I, I don't think has seen a home because just token strategies I don't think are that good overall against you know the decks especially when you're playing best of three matches mm-hmm. but the amount of explosion that you can have with like sapperling migration into song of Fraley's into another kicked thing into just swinging for a ton of damage is like a really big thing um you know i think that you don't want to go overboard with it i've certainly played against the games on arena where my opponent played like three tokens and then like three songs of Fraley's in a row and didn't do anything and died yeah uh so that's always the risk of that kind of card, but I think that card is interesting in that type of a deck. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like it's a card that you kind of play in these game ones, and you probably, I assume you sideboard out a lot. To be honest, I haven't played with the deck that much, if at all, really. I maybe played like one or two games on MTGO back when I used to play that program. Rest in peace. <laughs> um, that's right, the mocks was great today. Uh, but uh, regardless, 
Uh, it's interesting because to me, it's like, well, maybe that's a card where I should be like thinking about this in the best of one environment where I get these explosive starts that I'm already kind of good against these things. Maybe I should hedge a little more towards picking like, all right, aggro decks of the du jour. Let's play like, you know, this extra card that like logs up the ground, right? Or like, let's play a settle, right? For the board stalls. And then against control, it's like, well, if I think control's better, maybe I should play these Nullhide Feroxes that can't be countered or whatever, right? That kind of stuff. Actually, Nullhide Feroxes can't be countered, but you get the idea. Maybe a Carnage Tyrant, right? Right. That kind of stuff. No, I think that those things are interesting things to think about. But Song of Freilies is also interesting if it's going to be a lot of on the ground trading resources type of matchups. Just that, that big indestructible vigilance turn, like, can be a backbreaking thing that happens. That's true. If you call the Conclave with it, too, like on a turn six-ish, that's probably game over against half the decks. Right. That's a good point. Let's talk about the next deck, and this is uh, the deck I've been grinding with, 8-Drake. Because I'm all about that hotline bling. I think, <laughs> I, honestly, I think 8-Drake might be the best deck in standard. Um, I haven't been super on top of it, so take that with a grain of salt. I've just been doing competitive events on Arena and just trying to keep my gold up and whatnot for the next set. Um, I haven't checked out. But... With this new best of one, it was a deck I was interested in because of what I talked about earlier where it has these kind of techie cards, right? Like main deck spell pierce is really like a tech card. Having main deck dive down is like a tech card. And being able to protect a Drake or a Niv-Mizzet in both those matchups, I felt like I'm able... It's weird because I'm like, it's going to be a real challenge for Green Black to figure this out. Blah, 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 blah. It's a lot of work. And it's like, oh, I like loaded up the 8-Drake deck. I think I changed one card, right? And then I was like, all right, I feel pretty happy about my deck. And I've just been winning a bunch and I'm gold right now. So... Yeah, I, I think the 8-Drake deck is great. Yeah, like uh, if I were playing in a competitive event, like the best of three type thing, I would be playing that deck no matter what. Like that's just it's a deck that I think is really hot. Um, it's also interesting that no matter how many different iterations that I'm seeing when I'm looking at deck lists, that the main deck, the sixty, is the same in all of them. Like it seems like a pretty consistent thing where people are like, these are the sixty cards, and then there's sideboard changes that people are making. But like the consensus on this is the main deck for eight Drake have seemed to be like fairly consistent over and over and over again. And the deck just performs like out the same way over and over again, which I think is really good. And like I know I made the joke earlier about it being a Delver deck. It really does feel that way. Like you you play a Drake and if you have a dive down or a spell pierce, it's like you're probably going to kill them in like two turns. Yep, for sure. The other thing I would say is Spell Pierce is surprisingly effective against the decks on Arena. Because the thing that I've noticed so far in Best of One is a lot of people haven't caught on. I mean, th this is a big assumption that I'm right and others are wrong, right? But the mid-range decks aren't going to be as good. And I've been playing against a lot of green block. And I've been beating them because I've been like, turn four, play a Spell... I think it's Spellheart Chimera? That's not the name of it. Enigma Drake, sorry. Enigma Drake, yeah. Eight Drake. I said Chimera. <laughs> Come on! Yeah, Come on! Same, same <laughs> card, but this one's a Drake. <laughs> I, I like play it and then like... Turn five Vivian Reed, and they're like, I'm going to minus, and it's like a spell pierce. Right. And it's like, oh, and you're like, another Drake. Hit you. Go. And they're like, like your, oh, opponent, your opponent didn't concede. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I had one person concede to the spell pierce. They had nothing on board, and I had a Drake that was like a six, four, or whatever. And they're like, ah, I lose. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen a lot of concessions on Arena to the spell pierce. You get yeah. to one spell pierce, they're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I had one punter wrote me after they cast Fine Finality after not doing almost anything the whole game, and I double dived down both my Drakes. And they lived through Fine Finality, Ooh. and they just roped me. And I was like, well, this is going to take a while. And it's the first time I've been roped on Arena, but that, that was the sweetest play I've done so Won't far. be the last. I, I don't know. It hasn't been that bad for me. Maybe it's because I'm in the higher ranks, unlike you. <laughs> speaking, speaking of you, where, where are you right now? Uh, what deck are you playing on Arena? Uh, yeah, so I, since I, it's I, next on the list. Uh, sure. Is it next on the list? All <laughs> yeah, right. It probably is. I don't know. Whatever. I've I have dyslexia. Playing... Way to bring it up. So I was... <laughs> uh, a deck that I was interested in, like in looking at best of one, was Mono Blue. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's what I've been playing. And I went from Bronze 4 to Silver 2 in like an hour. Mm -hmm. Like the games are very fast and the deck is very consistent. 
Um, you know, if you just play like uh, the Herald Mistcaller or whatever on turn one into Curiosity with Dive Down or Spell Pierce backup. Miscloak Herald. Miscloak Herald. That's great. Whatever that card is called. Unblockable 1 1 <laughs> Merfolk, dude. Mm-hmm. With Curiosity. And if you have either Dive Down or Spell Pierce backup or Siren Stormcaller or whatever, like, you. It's so hard to lose those games. <laughs> like That's like an actual that, fast Delver deck. Yeah, like, it's <laughs> so hard to lose. And the number of times that I've had just, like, play that, hit them a couple of times, and then Spell Pierce or Dive Down, whatever their first removal spell is, like, there's a lot of concessions that are happening. I think I won, like, 15 in a row, mm-hmm. like, in that run of just, like, the first hour of playing it. Like, I think the deck is very effective. Um,. In this type of best of one environment, because it's very consistent and it's very like proactive in a Delver type style of like sometimes you're a little slower and you just counter their first three like relevant plays and then you play a thing and just redraw your whole hand and or you just get in underneath them and just defend it in a Delver type sense. Um, but I think that that deck has overperformed in a best of one even more so than it would in in the other type of setting. It's like like a faster Drake deck. Yeah, it is weird. It, like it has less sting power in the late game, which is why you don't see it perform as well at two after right? Because the opponent brings in a bunch of cast downs for game two, just as an example, right? And it's like ah gee ma, and I lose, right? But in this format, it's like you gotta be packing those main deck, right? Yeah. And one thing that's interesting that I kind of forgot about is you know how Watsi. Uh, showed this format off back at the World Championship when they played best of one and they had them play on Arena, obviously, because that's this format. Oh, they didn't do that? Okay. But they had you play this uh-huh. format, right? Uh-huh. And it's interesting. Like, look at the decks that Seth Mansfield and Luis Salvato uh, played at that event, right? Mono Blue was the one they both pulled out at the start. Right. Right? Like, so, it, you know, and that was five weeks, or I guess, God, it's like two months ago now. But, you know, that's crazy to think about. Regardless... Like, that changes a lot, and that's kind of an interesting thing to look at, right? Like, none of them brought black-green to that. They brought, like, Jeskai Control, Boros, Mono Red, uh, Mono Blue, and then I think there was one other deck that we didn't get to see. Or maybe it was just four decks. But either way, right, like, they kind of brought these decks that people are talking about. Right. Yeah, it's been surprising. It was a thing that I wasn't really sure if it was going to perform the way that I thought that it might. But, like, those starts, when you can just go, like, dude, curiosity, like, counter backup of some kind, Mm -hmm. like, it's insane. Like, you just are not going to lose those games against the, in the best of one type of setting. For sure. Um, Let's talk about Jeskai Controls, and that's the other deck that we haven't really got to talk a whole lot about. And as we've mentioned, I think Jeskai's a very good deck. Um, I think you just have to make some tweaks and I think the trick is probably to move more in on Niv-Mizzet uh, to, to win the mirrors and just have a bunch more cards to like not lose the early game to these kind of decks. I don't know exactly what that looks like because I haven't played a whole bunch of Jeskai, but that's kind of the gut feeling I have is that like if Jeskai can figure out the right configuration, it becomes the best arena deck. Yeah, I think that the deck's great. And I think that it's, you know, it's definitely a deck that can really like lean into Settle the Wreckage, which is a thing that we had talked about when we talked about the deck previously in other settings. But for this specifically... You know, I think there's going to be a lot of Adanto Vanguard um, decks in general in the best of one uh, queues. And, you know, Jeskai has a good answer for that in, in being able to play, like, settle uh, effectively and build towards that game plan of then, like, okay, now, like, I've dealt with those difficult things and I have all these other spot removal spells and all of this other stuff. And then you can land a niv Mizzet or a Teferi and then just take the game over. Yeah, or even Crackling Drake, right? Yeah, for sure. So... Because Crackling Drake and Clarion is probably game over most of the time against these arena decks. Against most decks. <laughs> if you can point. actually get that set up, you know. So I'm with you. I think that, like, that's a control deck that's very good. Um, and I think that that, in contrast of, like, the blue-black deck, I think is also very good. But it, like, it preys on, like, mid-range decks and 
like uh, Drake decks in a lot of ways, and also against the control decks. But I, I worry about its speed against like the really aggressive decks. Yeah, you're talking about like the blue black disinformation campaign. That, that's decks. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that Jeskai is more like readily equipped to be able to handle the aggressive decks and the starts that those have than the blue black decks. But then the blue black decks do better against I think like the Drake decks and and some of those things. Yeah, one interesting to me about blue black is I wonder if like we aren't seeing a whole lot of moment of craving. I wonder how much worse it is to have like four moment of craving main deck and like one or two cast downs. And kind of upping in that spot and just being like, okay, this is my concession to the aggressive decks. Talking about building a deck in an arena environment, right? A best of one environment. So I'd, I'd be curious to try that. I just honestly, I somehow only have one Watery Grave, so I haven't got to play it yet. I, I don't know how I only have one. It's absurd. <laughs> and so far, you know, moving away probably from like the four Eldest Reborn builds that have been going around now into something else, they might be able to compete in a better capacity. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about the, we kind of talked about these white weenie decks and these Boros decks. Do you think it's worth it to still play Boros if you don't have the sideboard? I think it's less enticing than the than the mono white. I mean, like you know, being able to sideboard into like experimental frenzy and go long in a game is something that's really appealing out of those decks. And if you're not doing that, like, are you gaining enough out of red to really do it? I mean, having access to lava coil when Drake is still as popular of a deck as it is is something that's certainly a reason to consider things. But I don't know that it's really worth it overall of just making sure that your man is good and consistent. And you can just get under people. It's interesting because I was feeling that it probably still is good. Because you're just become you become the if, so if you play exactly experimental frenzy as your only red card right you become like the slightly bigger white deck which is like kind of always the trick in those kind of matchups right it's like if you think aggro is the most popular deck right which seems to be the general consensus right now because we're recording this on the Sunday whenever rain this one up best of one if you play uh, experimental frenzy you have game against the control decks right and against these other aggro decks you're like well if we just trade cards in the early and it stalls out I have this unbeatable engine. Right, so I was I was curious of maybe going even more in on red, not not more red cards, but having a few more red sources to consistently like, cast frenzy. Because part of the problem was it's like, oh, you have so few red sources, you can't cast frenzy consistently, but you don't really want it except against control decks, right? But I wonder if there's a way to kind of maybe make it more borosy and less white weenie splash red, mm-hmm. just so you can play frenzy. Yeah, but so then my question would be, and this I'll, I'll send this back to you because I know yeah. this is a deck that you've played with some. Is that you know what incentive are you having to do that versus playing like a, a runaway Steamkin Siege Gang Commander type, the bigger red decks that you saw, you know, with with that type of things? I know that you've played some with that type of strategy. Yeah, so um, I'll, let's just talk about that deck too, and then I'll, I'll kind of wrap them up together. So right, the big sure. red is was, was actually one of the next decks. I really love the big red deck. I think it's not only a lot of fun, I think it's very powerful. I think a lot of that does come from the sideboard, though, because you're a proactive game plan in game one. And then out of the board, you get stuff like Sorcerer's Spyglass, Star of Extinction, you fix your matchups a little bit. Not just saying that you can't do that um, with the like playing best of one. I think it's a little bit worse and becomes kind of a, a bigger red deck. Um, I think it is totally reasonable to play, though. Like, if you think it's only, like, if you're only trying to target aggro decks, right? And, like, you, and that's one thing to think about when going into Lighter is, like, what is being popular right now? I need to target that sort of thing. And accept that, like, all right, 7 out of 10 games I play against aggro, 3 out of 10 I play against control. So I have a 70% win rate if everything goes perfectly, right? And sometimes they break either way. Regardless, I think the white deck is probably better in the aggressive mirrors because the big red deck relies a lot on one form removal and sticking a card like Siege Gang. And it actually has a lot of aggro hate in the board. So I think that deck would probably become better once control decks start to tick up a little bit unless you drastically change things. Because the board had four fire cannonades and two star extinction. So there's a lot of hate for those kind of like aggressive decks or decks that clog up the board. Because it doesn't have a lot of early creatures, so it's hard to actually hold the board. That being said, you have Dire Fleet Daredevil, which does a great job, I think, for a strike. Um, I just think that the fact that you are actually 
quicker on board, apply more damage, and have lifelink will matter more. So I, that's why I'm more interested in that deck than the big red deck, personally. And what do you think about the small red decks? Like, like the, the uh, OG Experimental Frenzy, go all you can. I think that's uh, kind of the level zero that people are, like, when people, I, get, I know that people talk about white, but when I think about it, I always think about that deck for some reason, some association in my head. Um, I actually haven't seen it that much. I think it's probably okay. That deck in general hasn't done a whole lot in this format. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a fine deck. I, I think the white deck is probably the better version only because it gains life. So it would beat it in the head-to-head type thing. Yeah, I think that that's fair. I, that's one of the things that I was going to say is that like there, it's not all of that much faster than the like the white decks. And then the white decks like gaining life along the way um, is something that I think probably creates a problem for the red decks existing. Yep. I also think the white decks, you could maybe, instead of playing Experimental Frenzy, you could pull one out of LSV's book and play Main Deck Settle. That's pretty cool. Like, you can do that kind of stuff. Like, obviously, you don't want to draw it, but, like, having a one-of isn't the worst thing, assuming you're trying to win these mirrors. And it's all about picking your battles. Right. So that's just something to think about. Let's talk about um, five-color mono-black. So five-color mono-black uh-huh. is the Alion Tronzi mono-black deck that uses Chromatic Lantern, right? So here's a question for you, for people that might not know. So even though these are best-of-ones, when you build your deck and you submit it, can you build a sideboard? You can. Oh, but how would you use that sideboard? Well, what if you played the card Mastermind's Acquisition? Oh, what does that card do? Well, Trey, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Only as if we had some sort of segment set up. So for two black-black, you can cast this card, and you say choose card from outside the game or choose card from your main deck. I'm going to be honest, when I first cast it outside the game, I was really hoping to give me my whole MTGO, my MTG Arena collection. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate pay to win. You, you were getting those, you're trying to hope for those bug. <laughs> <laughs> bug feature, let's use the words the way they're intended. Uh-huh. Um, but no, but you can choose either, which is interesting in the best of one environment. Because you no longer have to spend four slots on like, okay, I want to like, I'm going to play settle main deck and my aggro deck because I want to beat other aggro decks. So when I draw control decks, this really sucks. Crimea River, right? Instead, you pay four mana in game. In exchange for paying four mana, you get excuse me access to any of one of the fifteen cards you want in your sideboard. And what really probably happens, excuse me, is you probably play two of a lot of cards and then one like kind of bigger card. An example might be you might play like two duress, two negate, uh, two bane fire, two star of extinction, one zakama, and then like a immortal sun and like another card that's a one of right. That's not my actual sideboard. That's just an, maybe like a carnage time, right? That's just an example. Now you have access to all these other cards, and because the deck is all five colors, thanks to Chromatic Lantern and Treasure Map, you're able to go and access that. And because you play Cabal Stronghold, you have extra mana. So Cabal Stronghold says you tap it and pay three mana, and for every Swampy Control, you make a black mana. So once you have five lands, you generate one more mana, and so on. So that's a very... It's expensive to play Mastermind's Acquisition, but the deck's built around killing everything. Right, it plays main deck Moment of Craving, Cast Down, Ritual of Soot, Frasca's Contempt, you have Eldritch Reborn. So you have all these answers for the little creatures decks, and you have some stuff for the bigger Planeswalkers as well. And then you have your access to your sideboard to pull anything you want. And then the deck has main deck Niv-Mizzet and one, uh, Mirari's Conjecture, because Ollie loves that card, uh, to win the game. Yeah. Yeah. So I've won a lot of games where you just like kind of sit there for a while, you Mastermind, you do something, then you like play Mirari's Conjecture. On the second one, you buy back Masterminds. Then you're like, cast Mastermind, you pull your one Banefire out, and then it copies your spelling, like, Banefire you for nine. Twice, you're dead because you shocked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's a really interesting proposition of something to explore in the best of one environment where no one else has a sideboard and you have access to your full sideboard. You know, the only thing that you have to do is you have to play, like, a four-mana card that doesn't do anything. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the, and, and it's a trade-off of, like, 
tutoring and wishing are difficult things to do in magic a lot of times is that like you have you have infinite options you can get whatever it is that you can have access to and so but then you have to make sure that you pick the right thing at the right time or else you can just take a turn off to do nothing trey what if i told you our sponsor goblin char bargains had an answer to that and then you read the ad again, and I edit it in <laughs> with the scroll. Uh, all right, now ad's over. Okay, yeah, so with, you know, the Goblin Char Bargain ad, right, with the scrolls, you can then look at your thing. So that is a problem, though. Like, I, I did not know the deck very well. It was a deck I was interested in. My friend, Greg Carl, was like, you should stream this deck. It looks like a lot of fun. I saw it at the World Magic Cup. I'm like, all right, I've seen enough of this deck that it looks good enough, and it's only going to take, like, five wild cards. Let's do it. So, you know, you can check that at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark tonight, and... <laughs> I, I'm, I play this deck and it's like, oh, I have to like pull up the deck list to make sure that like that card's actually there because there's so much you can do. And I've changed the sideboard up a lot, which has actively hurt me when I'm going to look up the deck list. But yeah, you can do a lot of things with the sideboard. So you know, you can play like I I've had a cleansing nova main deck and I have one in my sideboard. So like I have two and I have the just like in my main deck a way to clear the board, which is interesting because it tells your opponent when you search, right? right? So if I search my main deck, they might be thinking, oh, he's going to grab like you know. The Marauder's Conjecture to try and set up a kill in three turns. I'm just going to keep beating him down. It's like, lol, K, you know, Cleansing Nova, you lose your board. So the card is, it's more interesting than I know if it's good or not, right? right. I climbed some with it on Arena from like Bronze 4 to like 1 or 2, and I switched to Drake and I just like plowed through people. It's so much quicker and more efficient like we talked about. Yeah. But it's something I want to look into, and I really want to look into it when I get into higher ranks. So I get to, like, platinum and that kind of stuff. I, maybe it's diamond in this game. I'm playing a lot of League of Legends. There are platinum and diamond. I there think both of those exist. I can't wait to get there and play this deck. <laughs> but I think it'll be very interesting to have such an adaptive deck. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that card's something to look at. Yeah, I think that it's interesting. But it's just one thing to keep note of. Like, in, like I know we're talking about deck-specific things. But in general, the more options that you have available to you, the more opportunities that you have to make the wrong decision. That, <laughs> that, that is true. It's yeah. just something that's, in general, it's it's hard to keep. Like to, it's, it's important to try to think about, especially when you're talking about tutors or wishes and those kinds of things. But I think that that deck is interesting because it, like, essentially lets you... Like, in typical Ali Atarazi fashion, like, he likes things that, like, break the rules fundamentally of magic. Like, it breaks the mana system or breaks the, you know, any of these other kinds of things. It, like, breaks the rules of the best of one format almost, right? Like, it's like, oh, I get access to whatever cards I want. I can have whatever hate cards I want. I can have whatever sideboard cards I want because I have access to this one card. And so that is interesting if you're starting to get to the point that you're noticing that the type of things that you were leaning on aren't there. And I think that this is also an important place to note like laddering which may be a new experience to people who are like playing magic primarily but haven't been like playing any of these other type of games that have this type of system it can get monotonous and having decks that are a different kind of style or a variety of different things to do like while you're doing on ladder can be something that's useful just to like keep you interested in doing it yeah for sure it definitely helps with that and it's also good to like you know take breaks and stuff like that like if we're gonna talk about that just for half a second like take a break from laddering yes yeah it it will be helpful I've done it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but besides that, we only have one more deck, and this is another deck that kind of breaks the rules. And this is one we added on here the last second. And Trey, I got a gift card for my boss from Christmas. I'm thinking about building this tonight for the stream. That's Fog. Yeah, the old forgotten combo deck of Standard right now. Yeah, the taking turns deck was interesting, right? Because it was like, man, this deck wins game one a lot. And then you play games two and three, and it's like, I didn't come close. Right. But Trey, I never have to play game two and three again. Yeah. The only thing that's going to be interesting, and it'll be, I'm curious to see how the deck does in the type of environment that we're looking at, is that at the time that this deck was very popular, Spell Pierce was not a really a main deckable card. And now, you know, you have multiple decks that are popular right now that are like main decking like three copies of or four copies of Spell Pierce. 
And, you know, whether or not casting your seven mana instant <laughs> successfully is going to be something that you're able to do and survive long enough to do, you know, in that type of environment. I, this is a deck I'm really curious about, like, playing and exploring because, I, like you said, it's like, you know, that type of deck wins game one a bunch, like a large percentage of the time. But, like, in this ter- current type of environment, can it have the same kind of numbers? Yeah, that's the part I'm not sure about. And maybe things have to change. But it's something I'm very interested in trying. And uh, I'll, I'll say this. SCG grinder Dylan Hand, he tweeted earlier, he's like, I hit platinum or something like that, right? And I saw in his little hand viewer, Fog, Fog, Karn, Simple Mastery. And I'm like, hold up. Yeah. Wait a minute. I know what that is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, but I, I do think that that deck has a lot of appeal, especially if, like, if we're saying, hey, you need to beat aggro decks this week. It's like, well, hold up. I have eight fogs. I can do that. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's the that was the type of environment that this deck preyed upon when it first broke out. Mm-hmm. And it's also something that has fallen off the radar where people aren't really thinking about it or doing anything with it. And so I, it might be prime right now for a lot of easy laddering to just take all the turns. Yeah, you need to have a way to beat niv it, but you can figure that part out. That's like the hardest part in the deck in my mind. It's like, I don't know how I beat Niv without Karn's Temporal Mastery, but... We can figure that out pretty easily. I, I feel confident playing that deck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's still like, you know, cast out type effects, right? Conclave Tribunal or Seal Away or any Actual of those Actual Ixalan's Binding. Ixalan's Binding. Yeah. It's very hot right now. Ixalan's Binding is really good against the Drake deck. It's, yeah. It's really good against <laughs> Niv Mizzet too. If they're yeah. like, man, Niv Mizzet's the only card I can't beat. This blue red deck sure seems a hard time beating this card. So, yeah. 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 Are there any decks, Trey, that you wanted to talk about that you missed or that maybe we thought of? I know we had a lot of decks to talk about today. No, I think that we covered a lot of the, a lot of the things, but you know, there, the, this, Type of things that we have to really hit on is the the kind of forgotten decks like mono blue and fog are, are are things that are really interesting to me of things that were really popular but just didn't survive the kind of like tournament structure so like ended up mono green stompy is one you might be interested yeah in. I think that that's similar the you know and green you know green blue stompy like you're splashing for spell pierce like I think spell pierce is very good right now yeah Hadana's climb's a real card too like yeah this one scenario so that could be something there you get to yeah. play wild growth walker too which is nice. And that's something that might be interesting is, you know, what type of newer archetypes or archetypes that weren't, would not be very successful, I think, overall might rise up out of this, too. Is something we haven't looked at very hard, but that's something that's possible, too. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Trey, let's say someone wants to message you about their mono blue deck and say you called it the wrong name. That's not what they want it called. Where would they find you? (laughs) You can uh, message me all of your vulgarities on Twitter at TreyMC. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on Facebook at Mason Clark. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. And you can find the podcast at Even Odds Pod on Twitter. Woo. It's the best. It's the best Even Odds Podcast Twitter account ever. <laughs> Are you laughing because of how true that is? Yeah, I, I only laugh at truth. That That's a good kind of thing to laugh at. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for watching and roll with us next week. All right. So for this week, we're not doing a wow okay. We're going to talk about how to get a free-to-play account. And I know wow. we talked about this. Uh, you're you're going to do that to me? Say okay. it. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Okay, Mason. Way to take my segment from me two weeks in a row. Uh, no, but jokes aside, you know, that wasn't planned. Uh, we are seriously going to talk about this because a lot of people have been messaging. I heard a lot of people talking in FNM. I've had people message me. And it's just like, well, we should probably talk about this. Even though we did it very quickly back in the episode when we debated, but you made me explain it very quickly. And so as such, we didn't get to really talk about it. So Trey, what's the first step to do in making an MTG Arena account? Sign up. <laughs> That's a lawyer for you. <laughs> no, 
trash that, what should people be doing? I log mm-hmm. into G Arena, I have my account, I'm top decker 69er, what do I choose? What, what happens? You, you should be drafting. Okay. Yeah, you should just start off by drafting because in, in typical way of like building a magic collection in paper, you know, going to drafts, you get to keep the cards that you draft and then whatever prize support stuff that you're getting, you're going to be getting in opening packs and building up towards wild cards on, on Arena, which is different than in paper, but it is, I think, one of the most effective ways to try to build a collection. Yeah, for sure. So the first thing you want to do is you want to get in. You want to grind with the free decks they give you. Don't craft any cards for the first week. After your first week, well, the first seven days you play and win one game, they'll give you these 10 decks, right? And you're going to get one deck a day. And all of those decks have at least one rare check land and one mythic rare that's good. So like Rekindling Phoenix, History of Banali, Rass's Contempt. You're going to get a card like that. So it's going to make it easier for you to build a deck. And while you're playing with these, you want to complete your dailies and get gold. When you get enough gold, you want to play a casual draft. Right, that's five thousand gold. You get to keep the cards, right? And if you, depending on how well you do, you get like a pack of whatever set it is that that week. Well, I think it's every two weeks, and you get some gems. So, what's a gem? If you haven't played MTG Arena, well, a gem tray is their form of currency. What is a gem worth? Because I can tell you when I say it. I, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know the conversion rate. I was, you look like you were going to say something, so, so I was trying to throw four, it. To you. Four hot dogs for a gem. That's way overpriced. I get like <laughs> I get like nine thousand gems for ten dollars or whatever. Yeah, and you're you got hot dogs coming out your ears. <laughs> I love hot dogs. Uh, no, but jokes aside, um, yeah. So you you grind to get gems, right? And this is the trick, right? Because people are gonna get these gems and they're gonna win like they're gonna go four and three, right? And they're gonna have four hundred gems on their account because I think it's about a hundred per win on the uh, casual drafts. And then when you get to like five and six, it jumps up a bit. Mm-hmm. You never ever ever. Under any circumstance, use gems to do anything but comp draft or buy packs if you're going to, you know, buy packs, right. essentially. Because the conversion, like, the expected EV, and people have done the math on this, and this is at the time of the recording and everything, and it might change. We're in beta still. But basically the math is, if you spend that 190 to enter any sort of event that isn't a comp draft, which is different than a casual draft, and we'll explain that in a second, you are going to lose money out the majority of the time. The house wins. So you only want to grind your goal to use casual drafts. Now, Trey, what is a competitive draft compared to a casual draft? So it's you play it until you get uh, two losses, and it's that you get higher prize payouts anytime that you're playing it. Mm-hmm. And it's two out of three. That's right, yes. Yeah. So a, a comp draft, it's like just like your F&M, you go, you draft, you play, two out of three. And if you get three wins in a comp draft, you break even. Now, you, you have to get like five or six in a casual draft comp drafts are harder but you get that higher payoff right and this is how you really start to snowball yeah what is interesting about the draft system though is that you can change your deck in between rounds Mm -hmm. like so you could play the first round didn't go very well but you have like you know you still go until you get your two wins you can rebuild your deck you can just scrap it and start over and then enter into the same thing again and keep playing yeah so like let's say you had a healer's hawk well you had a healer's hawk you didn't play and said you played you know some combat trick right like man i really didn't like take hark Take heart, I should have played that Healer's Hawk. Yeah. You can switch that for game two. That's right. So, Or for the next match. Or for round match. two. Yeah, round two. Yeah. And so you just do that, and you grind up packs and gold, and you do the best you can. If you want to spend money, the quickest way to get cards is obviously you buy a bunch of gems, you buy a bunch of packs, you open the packs, the packs give you wild cards, wild cards give me anything, right? And you get a deck. The most efficient way is buy a bunch of packs, or buy a bunch of gems, draft competitively a bunch, grind that as long as you earthly can to go infinite, right? Then use that to build a constructed deck, and then you want to do constructed events, which is essentially a league, which is what we talked about in the mm-hmm. MTGO versus Arena. And that's you spend a thousand gold to enter, right? And then if you get two wins, you get a thousand gold back, and you get one rare card at least, sometimes two, and then two uncommons. 
And then if you get three, you get 1,500 gold. And so basically you're guaranteed 1,000 gold a day on Arena. So if you get three wins in that, you're doubling your gold or you're increasing it by 50%. And it's very easy to 3-2. And you just chain them off infinitely. So as long as you can 3-2 a constructed event, you're good there. And if you get up to like four wins, it's 175 and three rare, two rares. And then if you get to five wins, it's 2,100 gold, which is a weird number to yeah. say the least. Um, and three rares and there's a chance for them to be mythics. So right. like I've had like Teferi, Karn, and like Vraska pop up, for example. So that's the way to do it. I hope that was helpful to people. We just know a lot of people have been asking us about that, so it seemed like something to put at the podcast. And one other thing, and I think we made a note of this before, is that you know you have your daily goals and your daily challenges, and some of those are worth 500 gold, and some of those are worth oh, yeah. 750. Whatever you do every day, you can reload one of those. You can just click it and like re-roll it to try to get a different quest. If you have a 500 gold one, you should re-roll it every time. Like yeah. It doesn't matter. You might get another 500, but getting those 750s on the daily goals are just going to help you grind farther. 110 percent um yeah it doesn't matter if you're a red black player and you love playing red black and your goal is 500 to play 30 red black cards re-roll it try to get a 750 it's worth it and it's a thing that you don't even necessarily have to go out of your way once you're playing the drafts and things enough and you're kind of grinding it you'll hit your daily goals yeah like it it, it doesn't matter what the daily goal actually is just re-roll it try to get a 750 play your drafts and you're going to hit your goals 100 percent well thank you everyone for listening and roll with us next week